like it was a different atmosphere just being out at the game mm-hmm. um and like just being chill about you know being out in public and nobody was wearing masks and it was just you know nice to like you know new brunswick their mandates are obviously different mm-hmm. than ours are they're probably going to lift their mask requirements later this month like on the 21st mm-hmm. um but just you know being able to actually come back land in and like literally halfway through the airport like if i wanted to i could have taken off my mask yeah. i suppose i shouldn't say if i wanted to it were like if i remembered to like i could have taken it off mm-hmm. uh, because of course those mandates had all lifted by the time i landed shall we get into this <laughs> <laughs> oh you mean we aren't already into this oh. <laughs> welcome back to another episode of scouting stuff you've got two of us this evening scouter colin is at that end of the internet hello uh, and i'm scouter ken i'm at this end of the internet discord is still a thing for the time being oh how was your trip trip in and of itself was good i got the work done fast ahead of time um so and i don't know how much talked about this previously right i think we talked about this on the last episode right like mm-hmm. the, the atlantic bubble and the isolation requirements and the, <laughs> all of that mm-hmm. stuff so um they they let me out which was nice mm-hmm. um it was supposed to be you know 14 days but then after i tested negative on day five they let me out so day 10 i think that i finally got out of there but that was enough to get an early head start on the work with the client mm-hmm. and so you know, basically, we were able to condense a planned three weeks of work into just nice. two, which is good. That's good. Um, so I was able to be home. Yeah. But, uh, and I mean, you know, like, John's an all right place to visit. Actually, the place that I really enjoyed visiting went there a couple of times. Um, like one Sunday, I was there and I'm just like, well, I got nothing else to do. So I drove around and I discovered the little fishing community of St. Martin's. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it's just this sleepy little fishing village on the coast um, of the Bay of Fundy, uh, maybe a 40-minute drive from St. John, um, but just a lovely place to be. I quite enjoyed just, like, walking along the beaches there, and, like, there's a lot of, like, red, uh, red sandstone, and uh, a lot of it's been shaped, so there's, like, big sandstone caves and things like that, and just all sorts of neat little sandstone formations along the beaches, so just really enjoyed, like, wandering through and checking the place out and i mean of course trivially easy to find good fish and chips pretty much that was that was like my default meal you know it's like uh if i'm looking down the menu and i can't decide what else i want to have i'll just try your fish cakes or your fish and chips or whatever well, if you're that maybe. close to the ocean you gotta eat fish i'm sorry yeah or lobster rolls or scallops or yeah. you know yeah. it's things. gotta be some seafood yeah it's like the water's right there on, on certain days i can smell it like from here like i should probably eat fish <laughs> we don't it's gonna uh, be yeah, we don't get uh, like super fresh seafood like you would uh, in a in a fishing village, right? Like that's yeah. There's that's one fresh catch right there. Doesn't get much. Pretty fresh. much, yeah. There's one place in Edmonton. So, like my wife um, spent a lot of her summers out on the Pacific Coast, mm-hmm. um, and of course, you know, her family were all about like the fresh fish. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not unusual for them to like, you know, buy like salmon and whatnot right off the docks. Um, 
And so, yeah, consequently, my wife has a, a very, very high standard when it comes to fish and chips. There's exactly, and I don't know if we can still eat there, obviously, with like allergy considerations being what they are these days. But for the longest time, there was exactly one place, one place only in all of Edmonton that she would ever consider eating fish and chips at. And that was a, there was a little place downtown run by a couple of homesick Nova Scotians. We haven't been there in a while. Um, I don't know if it still is a thing. But if it is, um, there's, yeah, I can, I can slip you the name. Um, Sounds good. It's the only place that she would bother eating fish and chips at. Yeah, no. But yeah, a couple of homesick Nova Scotians. I think they came here for the patch, for the oil patch. Decided that wasn't for them. Decided they weren't moving back. But I guess they have like agreements with, you know, fishermen out in Nova Scotia. Um, so they get obviously not, you know, as fresh as right off the docks, but as close as you can get to that here is yeah. what is there so yeah. i think it was called like back home or something like that mm, neat anyways it was uh it was enjoyable to go when we because uh, we used to live kind of in the area and so it was always enjoyable to to go there but mm. yeah trivially easy to just find delicious fish and chips or fish cakes actually became my favorite thing i think like if i didn't know what else to get on the menu i would get the fish cakes and i was like never disappointed awesome so and and the uh, craft beverage scene is also pretty amazing out in St. John, it has to be said. Oh. But well, that's, this being a scouting podcast, we... <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so, this being a scouting podcast, we shan't linger on that too, too much. But, no, you know, no. If it's you ever nice find yourself out there... Get a beverage, though. <laughs> oh, yes. If you ever find yourself out there, it is... Uh, literally, you can, like, not have the same selection twice, and you will still not be disappointed. <laughs> so yeah no i mean and overall it was it was it was like just so the atlantic bubble is kind of weird right because like on the one hand to get into it obviously there's these arduous entrance requirements although nowadays most of the bubble has popped uh just kind of in the span of time that i was there a lot of the restrictions got relaxed but like there's this arduous entrance entrance requirement at the time right like you know to get there you have to isolate for 14 days or 10 with a negative test or whatever the case may be right but you have to do this like mandatory isolation you're stuck in a hotel room and then when you finally get out and about in public it's and i think i said some of this right like it was as close to normal i felt in a long long time the first restaurant i went to the first night i was free there was an irish band just playing sitting around a table playing in the corner you know i haven't experienced that in forever Right, like the live music in a bar right? kind like, of thing. That's been a long time. Or, yeah, and then like come Sunday, I was almost in tears because you know I went to mass at the church nearest my hotel, mm-hmm. and we could sing, like we mm. were, you know, there was. I mean, music like my parish here has been doing music at mass on and off, mm-hmm. but the only person who can sing is the cantor, right? Yeah. Um, yep. But actually, like walking into the church and there weren't there still weren't like songbooks in the pews but you know the minute that the the cantor struck up singing like everyone else started singing along and it was i suddenly realized i hadn't done that in 16 months and it's like whoa this is so that's cool that was cool and just i mean the people there very very nice the people i was working with really really top tier mm-hmm. and um well i got the work done ahead of time so can't complain came up i did managed to get in touch with hook up with the silver falls scout group for 
uh, one of their meetings. Um, you know, did my usual thing. Haven't done that in a while either. Did my usual thing though of reaching out to the local scout group via Facebook and being just like, "Hey, I'm visiting. Do you want a visitor?" Mm-hmm. And they said, "Sure." And so I showed up, and uh, the topic of the meeting was bike safety, or not so much bike safety, but like bike maintenance. So they were walking the scouts through like how to take a tire off a bike and patch the tube, and you know. But it was just you know fun to show up and hang out with the scouts and that was good so yeah so a good trip overall well that's awesome i'm i'm happy that it uh it worked out for you ken (laughs) yeah well i mean it's also the longest engagement i've ever had away from home and you know i am now in talks with nutrient (laughs) oh you know worked out might not be the right I don't know, but I mean, there was a lot of good in the trip. There was a lot of good yeah. in the trip. So, yes. well, that's that's all right. I'm. Uh, How are I'm you doing? Slowly relaxing uh, my or like I'm cautiously optimistic at the moment, right? Like they've they've said we can go, you know, we can be wide open and all that kind of stuff. But I I'm still using a measure of caution myself. And that's, sure. I, I think, I think that's just me being a cautious person. <laughs> you know, I, I always like to, to really think things through before I commit to something. So for sure. And I mean, you know, obviously, um, different considerations as regards like health, risk factors, things like that, okay. different comfort levels. And yep. actually like, I have to say, um, one thing I did notice coming back to St. Albert was the signage at the parks. Like we've had signage at the parks for months and months and months now. And it's been the usual stuff, you know, if you're sick, stay home, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. These playgrounds are not regularly cleaned, you know, use at your own risk, blah, 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 blah. COVID bylaws, all that stuff. They've Mm -hmm. changed them though. So now the gist of the signage is that, um, you know, everything is back to normal, but one, like the first or maybe second line item is kind of exactly what you're talking about. You know, it, it basically just urges respect mm-hmm. for the differing risk appetites of people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, like the first rule of, you know, using the playground now is, you know, respect that other people may have different comfort levels or standards can't remember the exact wording i don't have a photo in front of me but you know just respect that other people may have different comfort levels let's say as regards things like the use of masks or social distancing or all of that stuff mm-hmm. and i mean that's really it in a nutshell right like yeah we're reopened and actually i was talking with uh with northern lights council uh today because i was curious as to like whether this reopening meant that I could maybe look at possibly doing a museum sleepover this fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got an answer back in the affirmative, right? Right. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of it is just coming down to, like, yeah, the province is reopened. Individual stores, facilities, whatever else can still require things of their customers if they choose to. Yeah. Um, it's the no shoes, and- no shirt, no service kind of. Exactly. Right. And yeah. And and that's a good point is that 
the idea that a particular store can require a particular standard for customers to enter is not, you know, strictly speaking, a new thing. No, no shirt, no shoes, no service is a thing that's been a thing for a long, long time. There's like country songs about it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, if businesses want to say, you know, no mask, no entry, that like they're within their rights to do so. And yeah, sure. You roll with that. Um, and I, you know, I mean, in a way, it, you know, cuts both ways, I suppose. You know, if people are wearing masks, well, don't get on their case about that. If if you're not wearing a mask, I choose not to, don't get on their case about that. Yeah, I'm not going to rag on somebody for not wearing a mask. Yeah. And just, but you know, I as long as that, there's yeah. that understanding, like, you know, hey, you know, okay, this is where our respective comfort levels are at. And yeah. cool, we'll, we'll find a way to make stuff work. I, I do look forward to the possibility of, you know, sometime within this calendar year of actually like being in the same room with you to do one of these. Yes. I, uh, I look forward to that time too. And I, I, I think it's sooner than, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be sooner than later. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the mic cords are fairly long, so yeah, we can, we can space out as needed, <laughs> but, uh, I, I do look forward to that. And oh. you know, I, that's another thing that actually I, I wound up talking about this today on uh, another Discord server, but handshakes. Mm -hmm. I, there were a couple of people on the, you know, at the client sites in New Brunswick who okay. opted for the handshake. Mm -hmm. And damn, that was nice. Yeah. Maybe I should, well, I, maybe, maybe that was the wrong word to use. I don't know. Sorry if that offends your ears, listeners, but just like, that's my heartfelt assessment of it is that it was just nice like mm -hmm. it kind of you know i'm not the most social person but yeah. just it kind of reminds you that you know wow human contact like that's a thing it's the same thing with giving somebody a hug too right like yeah if you're, same idea if, if you're used to that kind of personal contact with people i i mean yeah i i i in my line of work, I was always shaking people's hands. You'd meet someone, you'd shake their hand, nice to meet you, you know, just a general greeting. And yeah, like it's and just a thing. Up until, yeah, up until just recently, it, it, it was that, it was that, uh, I shook somebody's hand today, actually. That was, oh, that nice. was, uh, now, granted, I, uh, I hand sanitized my, <laughs> my hands shortly thereafter. <laughs> I didn't, sure, I didn't sure. Around and, and touch a bunch of things and rub my eyes and that kind of stuff. I, I, uh, sure. I had, and I mean, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. But yeah, it's just, it's sort of, mm -hmm. it was this interesting, you know, reminder that, like, yeah, like we're, there's just, you know, you can throw up the Vulcan salute or the peace sign or the namaste and yeah. it'll work for a while. Fist bump, it, whatever, you know. Yeah. But it's not, well, fist bump's a little better, right? Like fist bump, at least, you know, there is actually a little bit of contact there, right? But like, you know, going for the purely contactless right. greetings that have been out there, right? Whatever yeah. they might be. Um, it's just not quite the same, you know? It's not quite a substitute for, mm -hmm. you know, and again, that's, uh, I mean, a lot of that's just biology, right? There's this whole chemistry that surrounds the act of, you know, actually making contact with a person. Mm -hmm. 
and we probably don't process most of it consciously, but subconsciously, you know, like there's there's uh there's a meaning and poignancy to it that you just don't get with a air high five or something to that effect, right? right? Well, yeah, like yeah. I, I I I get you. <laughs> so yeah. But uh, I look I forward know. to the day that I can see you in person and shake your hand. For sure. For sure. And I got to admit, like, I am missing it more in a scouting context than in a business context. Very much so. Very much so. So, anyway, to topic. And I got to admit, I hemmed and hawed on this a little bit. But unless you have anything better to go on, it occurs to me that, you know, we spent an episode a while ago. I want to say it was sometime in the 70s. Talking about knives. And I think you we mean probably episode 70, not not sometime in yeah. the 70s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we haven't been podcasting since the days of disco. So yes, I do in fact mean it's sometime in the episode 70 odd range. Um, but it's funny to refer to it as oh yeah, back in the 70s. Yeah. The 60s and the 50s. Man, a lot of episodes. <laughs> but I know we talked about knives, but I think we talked about them more in the context of knife as tool in and i don't know how much we delved into the actual knife safety aspect and so because there was kind of a i was privy to a discussion somewhat recently of you know it's i got to admit like this is kind of cool where like you know my daughter has her peer group in grade seven, or I guess, you know, she's going into grade eight now, but you know, she has her peer group from grade seven and interesting admixture of kids, but she's really, really free to just like be herself with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like kind of taken after me, you know, scouting is a big part of her identity right now, which is awesome. And so, you know, she's mentioned to her friends two or three times. And again, this came up recently, too, just kind of towards the end of the school year, um, that, you know, being in scouting, she has her knife permit. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, her friends are kind of like baffled by this idea. And I think probably because um, they're, they're maybe more thinking of it in terms of like, you know, a, a firearms permit, right? Right. You know, the firearms license, which is not quite what the knife permit is within scouting. You know, obviously, for the one, <laughs> it's issued within your scout troop. So it's not like, you know, it's a, you know, unfettered <laughs> license to just carry your knife with you absolutely everywhere. Um, not that, you know, most firearms permits are that either. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's something from your scout group. It's not like a government license or anything like that. Um, but too, just, you know, the fact that th- th- there's a certain level of interest there, uh, within her peer group about, you know, how the fact about the fact that by participation in scouting, you know, she's trained, she, she does receive some training in the use of the proper care of the proper use of this incredibly versatile tool called the knife. And, uh, and so I thought maybe that we could just kind of, for a little while, dissect the training that goes into a knife permit. I'm just reminded of a story that involved teaching knife safety and then having to do first aid shortly thereafter. <laughs> well, that's a, I mean, that that is a 
Hoary old joke. Demonstrating that was the person who was demonstrating needed first aid, not the. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there there is a joke there, definitely, and um, I know that's something that we occasionally crack wise about. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just you know, and like the 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 current scouter mix in the 59th it's it, and i mean it is true though right like you know but that kind of gets to the point of it right is that the knife is a very important tool as we've previously discussed but obviously being a knife there is a certain care that needs to be taken with how it is used um so you know just to and i mean in fact like you know like within so just to kind of quickly iterate through the the regulations that Scouts Canada imposes on the use of knives, beavers more or less were not allowed to do anything with knives. Mm-hmm. Um, cubs aren't allowed to bring their own knives to events or to meetings. Um, and, and like this is an interesting discussion that I've had with a few of the families of youth who come through scouting, right? Uh, there's been a handful of cubs we've had whose families have personally decided that their child is responsible enough to have a pocket knife and obviously if that is a parent's decision you know i i i respect that as much as possible right Mm -hmm. you know i mean parents generally speaking know their kids best and if they feel that their kid can be trusted with a pocket knife or a mora knife or whatever else well like Sure, right? I'm not going to get on the Cubs case and be just like, no, you absolutely shouldn't be doing that. But equally, I do have to, as the scouter, step in and say, I'm very, very proud of you that your parents trust you in this way and that you can be responsible in this way. But I do have to ask you not to bring that to Cub meetings or Cub camps, right? If you're camping with your family, if you're out going for a hike on your own, by all means, throw it in your backpack, have a good time. Um, But, you know, yeah to leave it at home for cubs and fortunately the various youth who've been in that situation have been understanding um but then of course in scouts we actually do have the knife but sorry i should finish up that cub thought because within cubs we it there's a common myth and i think we talked about this too there's a common or maybe that was me and reagan either way there is a common myth that you know oh yeah cub scouts can't use knives and that's not true either they can't bring their own knife to a meeting or to an event, but we as the scouters can have knife work themed events with the Cubs or meetings with the Cubs. Um, but we have to be the ones who provide the knives. And of course it has to be very supervised and all of that. You know, there's, there's a lot of safety that goes into it, risk assessment and all the rest. Um, but you can have your cubs use knives, but it's under more tightly controlled circumstances. Scouts is really where the option for a scout to bring their own personal knife to an event or to a meeting emerges. But to get there, the scout has to first earn their knife permit. And in particular, like there's a few things to the knife permit, but the Compo- the the key component of it or the the most important component of it is the safe use of knives um now of course there are some standards that you know scouts canada imposes as regards like maximum length of a knife blade and um 
they and i mean like you may recall that uh, we did an episode on that actually this was probably the what's in a knife episode and then we had to like immediately correct ourselves on some of the points because the or maybe this was a different episode there was one episode we did where we were talking about like the changes to like especially the knife standards within the bylaws policies and procedures of scouts canada and then by the time the episode went live the yeah, BPNP had changed. We had to go back yeah. and correct things. Yeah, that's right. So, so I'm not going to bother quoting like exact figures here, but like there are Scouts Canada bylaws and policies regarding, um, especially the blade length. They've really, I think they relaxed any of the restrictions about folding and locking versus fixed blade. But certainly the blade length is, there's still a restriction there. So there's, um so you know most of the training that you can find if you search for it will begin with like a discussion of different kinds of knives that can be used in scouting um and it's not really i don't think that's as material to the discussion the exact kind of knife that you'll wind up using is there is sort of a it is a bit personal right like when ella earned her knife permit i gave her two knives she's got my old Schrade knife, the old timer, and then also one of my Mora knives. And I think in general, she prefers the Schrade, the folding and locking mm -hmm. versus the Mora fixed blade. Um, and I mean, I was kind of on the Moras for the longest time as well. I still generally tend to prefer them, although I did just treat myself to uh, an outdoor edge folding and locking, which is really quite cool. But anyways, you know, the exact kind of knife you're going to use, thats that that tends to be that can become a very personal thing for an individual. So it's not really material to get into the types of knives or like, you know, whether there's a sheath or not. Um, like I know my Schrade had a sheath. I don't think I used it all that often. The outdoor edge that I just bought doesn't have a sheath. It just has a nice belt clip. Um, whereas of course the Moras have a hard <laughs> plastic sheath, which is quite good because <laughs> they clip into it. And I do maintain that, you know, if you're at a loss what to get a scout who's just earned his or her knife permit and you want to get them a knife for a gift, and I've had a few families reach out to me, uh, you know, with exactly that question, uh, just within the 59th. And my usual suggestion is a Mora knife, because even if it's not the knife that you end with, it's a really good starter knife. What? You don't, uh, you don't recommend a box cutter? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's not... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I find great use in box cutters, but that's a different thing altogether. Right tool, right job, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I would use a box cutter. Like, I mean, I would use a box cutter for cutting boxes. I have fond memories of, you know, my first ever summer job working at a book bindery using a box cutter to slice the covers off of textbooks that had been sent in for repair. Um, because, you know, that's a that's a wonderful thing when you're, like, fresh out of grade nine and you're looking to shake off the school year. Um, slicing the covers off of grade nine textbooks and getting paid to do it, that's just the best. Um, although other parts of working at a book bindery are manifestly not the best, but that part was. Anyways, digression. Squirrel. Um, yeah, no. Right tool for the right job. Generally speaking, though, something like a Mora is probably going to be better suited to applications within a scouting context where a knife would be appropriate. I don't think 
you can make a feather stick. Well, you might be able to do a feather stick with a box cutter, but I'm not sure I'd want to try it. Blades too, like real realistically, the the blade on those box cutters are are extremely thin and can break and jam yeah. in the wood that you're working with, and your hand can slip and and well, they're and, designed to break. Like that's kind of the point of a yeah, box cutter blade is designed to break. When one becomes dull, you just snap it off. When one section is too dull, you snap it off and go to the next one. Right, and yeah, that can. That can be problematic, right? <laughs> yes, in a if in you're a making context a where, stick and yeah. the blade the blade breaks off and jams in the wood that you're using, and you're, you know, you could yep. you could be doing some serious damage to your hand. Is all I'm trying to say. Yep. So and so, I mean, that is definitely a part of knife safety is you know the right tool for the job. Um, I mean, generally speaking, yeah, a box cutter is not what you're going to need in scouting. Something like mm-hmm. a mora or, you know, a buck knife or something like there's, there's a few different kinds that are more suitable and you can find them in different outdoor sporting goods stores. Even Canadian Tire has a half decent selection of knives actually. Yeah. Well, and part of knife safety too, though, is a, a sharp knife is a good knife. <laughs> yes. And I was, I was waiting for, I was wondering where I was going to insert that in. I mean, I know it's, I, I've got a document pulled up. I'll make sure it's included in the show notes, um, courtesy of the second Russell scouting. Although I don't think they're the ones who prepared it. I've seen this from a few different sites, but I'll link to the second Russell at any rate. Um, yes. Sharpness matters. It matters so, so much um, for a few different reasons, right? Like, I mean, a knife that is not sharp will still cut things, but the amount of effort that you have to put into it is greater. And of course, the more force you're putting into the knife, the more force you're putting into the thing you're cutting, the more there is a risk of it skipping or, you know, like deflecting off of something or, and if it does that, I mean, obviously it can deflect at a funny angle. So even if you think that your hand or some other part of your body is out of the way, it may in fact not be. Yeah, no, a a dull knife is quite dangerous. Definitely. I, at least from personal experience, when you're doing fine work with a knife and you have a dull a dull knife, that's when accidents happen. When you have a sharp knife, you can really control the the blade, the the depth that you're cutting in, all that kind of stuff. Well, because the knife is actually doing work when the blade is sharp, right? Yeah. When the blade is not sharp, the knife is, I mean, it's still wedge shaped, but... Yeah the work is you know you the wielder of the knife are basically the one doing all the work when the knife is nice and sharp the sharpness of the knife itself lessens the amount of work you have to do it's so much easier to push a good sharp knife through wood or whatever else you need to cut uh, versus a dull knife and again you know the problem with the the fact that you have to use more force with a dull knife is that sometimes pushing a knife through whether it's a stick or a piece of food or just anything is that sometimes you encounter a region like well there's lots of i mean there's lots of ways this can go wrong but like for example you can encounter a region within the material that you're trying to cut through that's just a little more resistant than the material around it 
And all of a sudden, that can, you know, cause your knife to deflect or cause you to put even more force in. But then, of course, when you get through it, you're still putting all that force in. So all of a sudden, now you lurch forward. Um, like, there's just lots of ways that it can go very, very wrong for you versus the knife being sharp. Um, you don't have to apply nearly as much force. And so if you do encounter irregularities in, like, the density of the material that you're working with, um, and you push through them, there's less of a risk that the knife is just suddenly going to like spring free and carry forward with your arm pushing hard behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, Did you ever use your Mora knife for like, um, and we may have touched on that in, uh, in the knife, the knife, the knife episode too, but, um, but like from a handle perspective, uh, using, um, uh, it to split using it to split wood essentially i've never done that personally i've seen it done i've never been the where one you, doing where, it personally where the handle is is kind of strong enough and and designed to take a beating so to speak yes and and some knives are some are not so you know again yeah. be careful and, and i mean that knives, goes yeah. with the knife safety side of things too right like if if you know that uh like a mora knife the design and the, the specifications are such that it can withstand that kind of punishment. You don't want to do that to like a Swiss army knife, for example. <laughs> Goodness. No, actually just about anything with a hinge is probably not a good idea to do that with. You want to open a bottle of Chardonnay. <laughs> <laughs> not at a scouting event, my friend, not at a scouting event. Well, Hey, uh, European scouts can have a, and they not have a, a glass of wine or whatever. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, you and I were both there at the WJ um, offer of service slash adult volunteer area. Yeah, I would say if there's no duty of care, one one might say that uh, <laughs> um, uh, a glass of Chardonnay with a meal wouldn't be such a bad thing. For sure, for sure. But at least within Canada, um, no, yeah. none of that on scouting properties. Yes. Hunt. Yes. Still. A digression. Uh, squirrel. But, yeah, so... But, yeah, you wouldn't ever use, like, a Swiss Army... Ideally, you wouldn't use a Swiss Army knife as, you know, basically a <laughs> improvisational axe. I mean, ideally, you have at least a small hatchet with you, but maybe you don't. There's a separate permit for that. Hatchet permit. Axe and saw, I think, is the is the permit class that we have for larger implements of cutting, shall we say. Anyways, um... Coming back to, you know, the knife permit, again, like knife sheaths, ideally, yeah, a knife should have a sheath. It doesn't have to have a sheath, should, but there should be some place to store it so, you know, you can put it somewhere safe when it's not in use. Uh, obviously, a fixed blade, you definitely want a sheath. That's why moras are very nice. Um, if it's a folding blade, a pocket will do. A zipper pocket is better, just to, you know, make sure that you're reasonably certain that the knife is contained within... A particular area. Mm -hmm. If I mean, you do wear a if you do wear a sheath, uh, one thing that we do stress within Scouts Canada for the knife safety aspect is that the sheath sit vertically on the belt okay. and not horizontally. Well, the the big one for me, like the the pro for for sheath and whatnot, is to keep kind of keep the crap, you know, the the debris and and junk from getting getting worked into that hinge point it is true yes 
or dulling the blade if you have a, you know, um, but I mean, normally like the, the, those folding ones that have sheaths that you put, uh, put on your belt and that kind of stuff. Um, they, they generally do a good job at keeping the, the debris from getting worked in, into the hinge. Whereas if you have it in your pocket or whatever, you still run the risk of collecting some, some, yeah, for know, sure. Random pocket lint and other things. For sure. And that is definitely a problem I've noticed in my own <laughs> knives. Um, so yeah, for a folding blade, especially a sheath is really quite invaluable. And again, like knives, like the Mora, um, obviously come with a sheath of their own and it's good to have a fixed blade knife in a sheath. That's pretty much a mandatory thing. Um, and if you are wearing a sheath, yeah, put it vertically on your belt with the opening facing upwards. Um, it's much easier to lose your knife if you don't do that. I think the single most, I don't know if it's necessarily the single most important principle of knife safety that we teach in Scouts Canada, but certainly the more most memorable for its name is the blood zone. And the idea of this is that it's basically, and, and like when we, when we actually show the Scouts how to measure the blood zone, ideally it's the length of your arm plus the length of the blade of your knife. Um, but the idea behind the blood zone is that it's an area around you that is clear of obstacles and especially of other people. Um, it's just, you know, that, hey, I am using a knife for whatever purpose I'm using it for, stand back. Uh, you may even want to announce to your patrol that you are, in fact, opening your knife uh, and that you're going to be using it for a particular thing. And then they will ideally know to stay clear. But the idea is that it should basically be a circle around you that's at least as long as your arm, that, that at least has as the radius of you know your arm length um, and ideally a little bit more to allow for the fact that the blade is a few inches past the <laughs> tip of your hand that said when you're marking out your blood zone don't swing your blade around but how are you going to know <laughs> you just you're just gonna have to and you know what actually that's not an unfair question for people like me who don't have a particularly great kinesthetic sense when it comes to especially their arms. And my daughter suffers from the same thing, unfortunately. Um, I I don't know if it was just that like I my growth spurts were oddly timed or whatever else when I was like a you know a kid, but I don't have a particularly good sense of exactly where the end of my arm like where the end of my fingers are, where my fingertips are, where the end of my arm is. I just do you run into door frames just out of curiosity like sometimes sometimes yeah I was gonna say because I I've had that happen too where I, where I'm taking a corner and you know I misjudge how broad my shoulders are and I like run firmly into the the door jam it's like yep so <laughs> yeah for I, sure I say how are people going to know in jest but you know it some people don't really know how long their arms are and maybe need to do a test, a, 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 a test swing sand without the knife, you know, like just be like, okay, this, if it's this really a problem for you, I need to work in and then if it's add, really a a, more, add a foot. Yeah. You know? And if it's really a problem for you to visualize that, just pick up a stick or something like, you yeah, know, exactly. use, use a proxy mm-hmm. for, for your actual knife. But yeah, so, the blood zone you want to establish sort of a safe area around you where people aren't going to um 
potentially get in the way of your knife. And then, of course, you know, obviously, once you've established that safe area, once you're sure that there's nobody, you know, too close to you, then it's safe to pull your knife out of its sheath or fold it open if you have a folding and locking one. Um, yeah, blood zone. Like I say, I'm not sure it's necessarily the the single most important thing that we teach in knife safety training, but it's certainly the most memorable just for its name, blood zone. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I was going to say, if, if you're, uh, if you're measuring, uh, um, measuring out the blood zone, uh, do you need to have the music from psycho going? That's your, although usually we'd frown on bringing along like electronic devices, including MP3 players to camps. So, yeah. So, I mean, if you know the song, you can just kind of play it in your head, I guess. kind of hum it to yourself whatever <laughs> and then of course there is uh, honestly i think maybe the if i were to pick any one particular thing um when it comes to I mean, knife safety if i were to pick the most important thing it would probably be like passing the knife oh yes and so the concept behind passing a knife is basically body first ideally if you have a folding and locking blade you just pass it with the blade closed right like you close Ooh. the knife pass it to the other person they can open it once they're clear of other people <laughs> um but if you have a fixed blade knife or whatever the circumstances might be maybe you do have to pass the knife while the blade is out or again with a fixed blade you don't even have the option of retracting it and so the most important part of passing a knife is this never pass the knife with the blade pointing at the other person Handle first. Yes. Handle first and ideally cutting edge facing down or at least away from, uh, well, I mean, the, the reason we say cutting edge down is because then it's generally speaking away from both your hand and the other person's hand. Um, but yeah, ideally the cutting edge should be facing away from your hand and from the other person's hand as well. But yes, handle first, cutting edge facing away. Um, if you have a folding blade, do consider folding the blade up before passing the knife. And, you know, a certain degree of communication isn't the worst thing. You know, making sure, hey, okay, here's my knife. Do you got it? Yep, I got it. Okay, good. Um, obviously, the training rec- recommends more, um, recommends a little bit more uh, direct verbiage. But, you know, obviously, you know, as long as you're communicating with the other person that you're passing the knife to, that is probably sufficient. And then another important rule of using the knife is that, you know, whatever you're doing, whether it's, you know, if you're whittling or if you're cutting something like a piece of food, should never, the direction that the blade is moving should never be towards a part of your body or someone else's body. So if you're whittling, don't whittle, like if you're whittling and you're holding a piece of wood in your hand, in one hand, and whittling with the other hand, the blade should be moving away from you. You shouldn't be whittling with the blade coming back towards yourself. No. You know, ideally, if you're cutting food, you shouldn't be holding the food in the hand. The food should be on some sort of clean preparation surface that you can just cut down into, right? Um, 
I mean, I know most of us do this, hold it like uh, buns are the worst, right? Buns mm-hmm. are the worst because you hold the bun in your hand and then you're just like cutting into the bun with the bread knife right yeah. towards your hand. And yeah. we all do it. And that's just like, you're really not supposed to do that. Because, uh, you know, obviously if you misjudge, it's distracted, not paying attention, trivial, yep. all those things, right? It's trivially easy to end up cutting into your own hand, and that's bad. So yes, direction of the blade should always be away from you and away from other people, right? You don't want to be cutting into, um, <laughs> you know, you could be whittling away from yourself, and that's safe with respect to yourself. But if your buddy's literally sitting like right in front of you, well, a you've failed to establish a proper blood zone and B, if things go wrong, you're going to stab your buddy and you don't want that either. I remember being a, uh, I remember helping out at a summer camp uh, at the U of A campus and there was a, uh, (laughs) there were not enough adults in the room. There there were not enough adults in the room. Let's just put it that way. And uh, for the number of kids we had and for the activity we were doing, we really should have had closer to like, one to two coverage and we didn't have anywhere near that and so the kids were trying to build some sort of structure out of cardboard which meant cutting the cardboard with box cutters and i was working with one kid trying to you know help him with a particular piece of his structure and the two other instructors that were with me were actually out of the room chatting man you know there are days when i think back on this and i'm just like i'm so glad we have like a hard two to one or like a hard minimum two uh, rule but anyways this other kid across the room all of a sudden starts screaming because of course he's trying to cut this particular piece of cardboard and he's holding it in a completely unsafe way and the box cutter skipped out of the cardboard and right into the side of his knee cutter you say (laughs) yes knees bleed by the way oh they bleed a lot Mm -hmm. so yeah um very important to Always, always, always be cutting away from yourself and away from other people. Oh, I meant to to say in the comment on the sharp knife, do you know what an easy way to test how sharp your knife is? Like if your knife is sufficiently sharp? The method I'm familiar with is the kind of the weighted test on a piece of paper. Yep, that one's good too. (laughs) Like you hold a piece of paper and then you just kind of let the knife guided of course but you let the knife fall and if it cuts a piece of paper it's generally pretty sharp yeah that is a good way to test it definitely what's your way (laughs) well so my way having been using a knife for many many years is um i'll actually and you know what i probably even shouldn't say this on the episode i'm going to anyways for the scouters in the audience scouts plug your ears um i'll run it along my thumbnail oh yeah yeah, because like if you just if the knife is enough to like bring up um, shavings of your thumbnail with just gentle pressure, it's sharp it's enough. Sharp. Yeah, but I guess that kind of goes against the grain of cutting away from yourself. Well, I also know people that test the sharpness of their knife by like shaving their hair on their arm. <laughs> like, yeah, that's no, sharp thank enough. you. Don't do that. Do no, not do that. that's no, that's silly. Ab- absolutely. And lacks common sense, but absolutely. All right. So So, I guess because I don't want to be recording until all hours of the night, um, Uh, could probably do a whole other episode on like knife care, right? Sharpening and all of that. But, but, or how to sharpen a knife, I guess. 
Yes. yes. And I mean, like, and there are there are a couple of different ways. I actually I prefer the sharpening, like the 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 multi-slot sharpening blocks that you can get at. Yes. Uh, they're actually like for kitchenware, but they work well for scout knives too. You can, uh, you know, so knife sharpener tools, quick and easy quick. to Cheap. sharpen a knife that way. Yeah. Um, oil and grit, or uh, like on a stone or a sharpening rod. Yeah. If you're if you're a purist, I think uh, the sharpening stone is a uh, is kind of your 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 preferred choice. I I want I, I, to be a purist. I don't have time to be a purist. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a sharp knife. Yeah, yeah. and not, not half an hour from now. Yeah. If you want to have a zen moment and, and sharpen your knife, maybe that's that's the time to bust out the stone. But uh... Yeah. Anyways. Anyway. But yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and there's all and, kinds of cool tools that you can get to sort of bolster the sharpening stone, right? Like I remember uh, uh, being out at... This was last year, last year, kind of during the summer. We were out at the yeah. lake lot with some friends from um, our kids' school. And the the husband was sharpening a knife. And but he and like he had the sharpening block and the oil, and he also had like this honing tool and he was like measuring the honing angle. And I mean, yeah, yeah. if you if want you're... to go like all in on knife care and knife sharpening, Mm-hmm. That is the way to go. Mm-hmm. I I just don't have the time. <laughs> so, anyways, anyway. different options for sharpening, but general knife safety rules. Kind of the important stuff that I think is material to the episode that we've been putting together so far. Um, the biggest thing Big. is, you know, obviously, don't, don't use a knife use unless a knife. you're authorized to. So, for scouts, that means that, you know, if you don't have your knife permit and you do not have the permission, and supervision of a scouter, absolutely, absolutely don't use don't a knife. Use a knife. And the Cub Scouts, that goes for you too. Goes, you can't earn you a can't. knife permit, so don't, so don't use a knife at a Cub event without the permission and supervision of a scouter. Um, um, beyond that, beyond the knife is honestly one of the most important tools that you will have in your collection as a scout. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. a very versatile thing. It's a very important True. survival tool. Um, um, please treat please it with treat respect. It. Keep it sharp, keep it, sharp. Keep it clean, keep it in good working order, and never, and never leave it unattended. Generally speaking, a knife should only be used for outdoor skills outdoor. use or whittling activities. Never throw your knife. Um, obviously, never threaten someone with your knife. Um, um, and generally speaking, you shouldn't be you using shouldn't your, knife your knife inside a shelter, inside a tent. Um, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's if you have downtime and you want to you whittle, want to that is that awesome. Is I definitely encourage whittling. But, but you know, make sure you're doing that outside for a couple of reasons. One, you don't want to cut your tent. Two, you don't want wood shavings in your sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah. uh, see also crumbs. See also. Mm-hmm. Clean your knife after you're done using it um sheath it or otherwise store it when you're not using it much like scissors don't run with it and it's also not for playing games and you know again pass the knife safely handle first blade pointed away from you and the other person we do also have some other traditions around knives in scouts canada 
um, a lot of groups and a lot of events will, for example, um, have the tradition have of, you know, of knives not being allowed to be brought to, be brought to a brought formal to campfire, campfire or Scott's mm -hmm. own. Um, sometimes a knife log is used. I know there's a lot of debate around knife logs. Uh, I know there's been some cases of people like having their knife stolen out of a knife log, which is just not cool. Um, but then also like, you know, putting your knife, stabbing it into a block of wood that does actually detract from the sharpness of it a bit. So I know there's a lot of debate around knife logs. Um, but I do like the tradition of not bringing a knife to a campfire or a scout zone. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, if a knife log is not being used, or if you don't want to put your knife in a knife log, you can always just leave it back at your tent. Um, um, generally speaking, generally, at least within scouts, we do ask we do that ask if you have your knife permit, have that you have it on you when you're using your knife. Using your knife. And of course, and the knife permit is revocable, which is to say that, you know, if you are using your knife in an unsafe manner or in a threatening manner, um, it can be taken away from you. And then any privileges you may have had to use your knife at a scouting event will be revoked. So those are kind of the high points of knife safety. The actual knife permitting process is a little more detailed than that, because, of course, you need to be able to... Um, demonstrate your knowledge about the anatomy of a knife, different components on most knives. Um, identify, identify items on a pocket knife, for example, that would need to be inspected prior to use. Um, you know, explain the blood zone, do a whittling demonstration, do a demonstration on knife use for other outdoor skills. The, the actual permitting process is fairly comprehensive. And we're not going to get into that in this episode, but I do think it is important to, you know, just have a chat about knife safety because a knife is a valuable tool. I love my knife knives. Uh, I have several, <laughs> um, but they, and they are seriously like one of the most versatile and useful parts of my kit. Even when I'm not doing a scouting activity, I usually have one along with me just because I don't know. I feel kind of, feel kind of naked without it, you know? Um, um, but, but they're, they do have to be, you know, used in a respectful and cautious and courteous manner as befits a as, scout. Right. So, so because we're trending a little bit later, I, I do have a couple, a couple of, of shout outs. Shout -outs. So the first so one, and first, this is, uh, this was also in scouting five. Um, uh, but you know, I'll mention it here. This is from Dave Walker, who I believe is with third blueberry scout group here in Alberta. Um, and so out a little bit west of Edmonton, there's a area called Chickakoo Lake and there's a scout lease on Chickakoo Lake called Scoutland. And evidently the third blueberry are hosting an open house at Scoutland for scouters to come out and find out a little bit more about the camp and what it can offer. It's a neat little property. Well worth checking out. We've done at least one camp there and we've also used it for hikes in the past. Um, if you happen if to be in to. Alberta and especially in Northern Lights Council, they'd be very interested interested in having you come out for the day. Um, and the open house is being held on July 24th between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Dave, Dave also specifically extended an invite to us. Uh, so I will see if my July 24th is free and I will see if I can maybe get out there and possibly record a few snippets or sound bites. I don't know. My January is pretty stacked already, 
actually because of course you know having just come back from a month away my wife is definitely trying to make up for lost time with her shift schedule but if i can make it out there i definitely will all right so so thank you say which the 24th yes yeah uh i'll have to keep that in mind i guess Mm -hmm. 10 a.m to 5 p.m so thank you dave for the invite i'll see if i can make it work we'll see if we can make it work and then the other shout out is to well you know what and we've had them on before so, so this one this is to Scouter Tara, Tara from the 163rd Winnipeg Scouts, and also yeah. her two sons, Kieran and Keegan. It's been a little it's, while. So you may recall, Colin, um, they're the ones who, remember when we did the Campfire Blankets episode? Mm-hmm. They were the ones who were suggested the ones. that topic. Oh. So, so anyways, right. a couple of years have couple rolled years. on since then. And they are now finishing up in Beaver Scouts. In fact, they are working on their North Star Awards right now. Or, well, they were until just recently working on their North Star Awards. And in particular, they chose to do their North Star project. Um, They chose to do a fundraiser for a cat rescue service called uh, Rescue Siamese and Stray Cats. That's a rescue service in Winnipeg. So... What they wound up doing was a virtual community service project called No Cats Left Behind, sort of playing on our own in-house program, Um, in exchange for a donation, either monetary or supplies, directly to Rescue Siamese, they would make drawings of people's pets. And uh, the reason they chose Rescue Siamese is because um, their own pet cats came from that particular rescue service. And evidently, they... yeah. And evidently, they were able to raise... So this is actually kind of cool, because at the time the Scouter Terror reached out to me, they had raised $900, which is pretty darn cool. And just within the span of time that Tara and I were exchanging emails, they actually managed to top $1,000. Another donor came out and... Uh, enabled the the boys to top up their fundraiser to a full thousand dollars, which evidently was their goal. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So yeah. that is the completion of their North Star project. Well done and well earned, I say. <sighs> All right. All right. So those are the two shoutouts I have: Dave Walker and then Tara and her two sons. So, how about you? Anything? Uh no, no. I'm I'm good. No shoutouts. Uh-huh. I can remember. All righty. Well, then, of course, uh, shout, out shout out also to Scouting, Scouting Radio for rebroadcasting our episodes to their worldwide scouting audience. If you're listening to us on the Scouting Radio right now, hey, we are so happy for that. Um, be even better for you and maybe for us too if you were to head on over to your podcast app of choice and mash subscribe on our podcast or you know just reach out to us get in touch we would love to hear from you if you're chewing on the episodes week after week Scouter Ken yes how does one get a hold of us ah well email is still an option um, scoutingstuffpodcast at outlook.com or gmail.com Twitter is an option as well. Twitter.com slash SSYSK podcast. You can reach us on Facebook or Instagram as well. Facebook.com or Instagram.com slash scouting stuff podcast. Same handle at both of those sites. 
And of course, if you hit up the show notes, you'll find a link for the Discord server that we continue to use to record these episodes. Be happy to chat with you there. I'm constantly lurking Discord throughout the day. All the various servers that I'm part of. And lastly, of course, we would encourage you to leave us a review on iTunes or Podchaser or I don't know if Spotify does reviews, but if you happen to notice that whatever podcast podcast service you're using to listen to us allows you to leave reviews, please consider leaving us a review because, hey, hey, we would love to hear what you think. Oh, and you oh, can and leave us a voice message at scoutingstuffpodcast.com. Just look for the little microphone icon. It usually hides in the uh, lower right-hand corner of the screen. And that and is that. that. So, well, thank you, Scouter Colin, for another fine chat. Lovely to catch up. Yeah, same to you. And thank you out there for listening. And until next time, be prepared. Perfect.